0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. We will soon count down our favorite TV shows of 2022, but it is not this day. On this day, we fight to tell you something different. I'm Jeff
1: Braun. Today, it's our not quite the best of 2022. It's the best of the
0: rest. We're going to open with a caveat here. We have not seen everything. Like, look, we watch what we can, and we watch what we want. It's just impossible for us to watch everything. But of the ones we've seen, these are among our favorites of 2022. With our top 20 TV shows coming soon, you'll just have to wait a little bit longer.
1: And we'll waste no more time and get right to it. First on my list for today, over on HBO and Crave, one of my favorites this year called Tokyo Vice. You wish to be a crime reporter in Japan. Why?
0: I want to report on what really happens. Once you open a door, it is very hard to close. There's more to that story.
1: What do they want?
0: Stay behind me no matter what. Ah! Don't write about this.
1: HBO's Tokyo Vice stars Antil Elgort is a young man who becomes a cub reporter for the biggest newspaper in Tokyo and Ken Watanabe is a longtime detective also in Tokyo and how they're both investigating the same story involving the Yakuza gang, albeit they come at it from different angles, at least at first. Eventually, they realize they can be beneficial to each other. In theory, of course, it's a little choppy between them. Elgort is young, green, and energetic. Watanabe is old, wise, and a little worn down. We also get a good look inside the Yakuza and what that kind of life is like for an up-and-coming gangster. It's an interesting world. It's set in Tokyo in the 90s, which is a you know very different thing from the Canadian prairies where we are at any time of day. So I always love a good shop, cop show. I always love a good journalism show or movie. And this checked a lot of boxes for me. Highly recommend Tokyo
0: Vice on HBO and Crave. This is kind of a cheat. Kind of not. It started on November 7th, 2021. And it was on your top 10 list last year, if I recall correctly, Jeff. But uh, it ended on January 9th, 2022. So I want to give it one more nod of recognition.
1: It's a scary world is welcome on this, I might still be a monster,
0: but I'm an evolving monster. Dexter New Blood, the Showtime limited series, which aired on Crave in Canada, about Dexter Morgan, the serial killer who only kills other killers. It aired for eight seasons from 2006 to 2013, and it was good, and then it was great, and then not. And then it left a bad taste in everyone's mouth with one of the worst finales ever. So they got another chance with this limited series, and they got it right you got a proper ending, and I am thrilled with the result of this series. I just I just hope they do not do a spinoff. There's been extensive talk about it, but nothing definitive. Just let it go. You came back. You fixed it. Let it rest.
1: Absolutely. Couldn't have gone better for Dexter if they had tried, and you're right, they should... Let it lie. Now, this next show was not as good as we had hoped, but I still enjoyed Prime Video's The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. You have been told many lines of Middle Earth.
0: Darkness will not over the face of the Earth... Each of us must decide who we shall be.
1: The first Lord of the Rings TV series started very strong, got a bit dull in the middle, but then picked up at the end. I love middle earth, so I enjoyed returning there and bopping around the various parts, at least at first. And then things sort of all collapsed into each other, and most of the characters sort of ended up in the same location by the end. It wasn't a perfect season by any stretch. Hopefully they can course correct a bit for next season and more quickly arrive at the point of things instead of dragging stuff out for no real reason except to stall for more episodes or whatever. But the show looked amazing, so even when it was boring, that would win me over and kept my eyes glued to the screen.
0: Next up, I sometimes like to include a nature documentary narrated by Sir David Attenborough in my year end lists, but this year it's from a different speech of fire of excellent magnitude.
1: Join me as we explore the wonders and secrets of some of the most extraordinary national parks on the planet
0: on netflix barack obama leads our great national parks extraordinary footage in this in some cases just mind melting and it also helps to remember how important it is to protect wildlife and wilderness Typical climate change messaging, but it's not too heavy-handed. And Baraki is a great narrator. He lacks the mischievous tone that Attenborough has sometimes, but Obama's relaxing yet firm. And it feels like a lot of these docs are starting to intersect with the places they go or the species they feature, but who cares? It's still awesome.
1: Next on my list, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which continues to be one of the best shows on TV.
0: Just once in a lifetime. You know what's great about me? It's when I'm me. A girl
1: knows a moment. Every single show, I'm going to say exactly what's on my mind.
0: Mrs. Maisel, time to start the show. I think it's time to start the show.
1: And this is my moment. Mrs.
0: Maisel. But once in a lifetime. Oh, 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 oh. We're going out. Where? When I can explore a new world. Ex- Where are you going? Just grab a hat. Do not change your wardrobe. It's fine. Just a hat. It's never just a hat.
1: Prime Video's Marvelous Mrs. Maisel stars Rachel Brosnahan as Midge Maisel and Alex Borstein as her manager Susie. They've each won Emmys for the show, as has Tony Shalhoub, who plays Maisel's father and steals most of the scenes he's in. They've done four seasons. It's been an impressive run so far. Mrs. Mazel's a New Yorker in the early 60s, mostly a housewife, but after a divorce and a catharsis, she's now determined to make it as a stand-up comedian for which she discovers she does have a natural talent. It's a very funny show, but it's also smart and clever, dramatic at times, and it looks amazing. It's undoubtedly one of the best-looking shows from all the authentic period set dressing to the costumes. It's just a joy to watch on every level.
0: And on something completely different here, last year we got a taste of the kind of exceptional programming that South Korea offers in Squid Game. This year we got lots more of the South Korean stuff, including their take on a zombie apocalypse with a 12-episode series that started in late January All of us are dead. Yeah, again, it's from South Korea, so that's why none of those words probably made sense to you. But the show was excellent. It's set in a high school, and the series shows just how quickly something like this could spread, especially if they're faster and angrier zombies than other worlds like The Walking Dead, where they're a bit slower. These are more like the ones from Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. And uh, as is the case with all South Korea shows, whether it's Squid Game or their remakes of shows like Money Heist, much of the focus is on socioeconomic disparities, and they weave them together just beautifully it was a little long a little bloated at times and but there is going to be a sequel coming out in 2023 but if 12 episodes is too much and you want something shorter maybe just try the korean zombie movie train to busan which you can find on prime video the uh once again all of us are dead is on netflix the easiest
1: show of all time to binge watch, I think, was one of the highlights this year. For me, Rowan Atkinson stars in the Netflix series Man vs. B*. On all 14 counts of dangerous driving, the destruction of priceless artwork, arson,
0: do you have anything to say before you're taken down? You see, there was this B.
1: Rowan Atkinson, a.k.a. Mr. Bean, plays a guy who becomes a professional house-sitter, and he's house-sitting at a fancy mansion, and there's a bee in the house, and he tries to get rid of it, and that's the whole show. It's an hour and 40 minutes worth of material carved up into nine episodes the first one is just under 20 minutes the rest are around 10 minutes the episode lengths listed on netflix are longer than they really are because there's about two minutes of credits for each episode and as silly as it all may seem like why not just make it a movie if it's movie length i think it does make sense as a tv series there's not really enough there for it to hang together as a movie there's not enough story but there are enough scenarios for him to fight with this bee to make episodes of television but again short episodes. Overall, Man vs. Bee is exactly what you would imagine it would be to be if you would think of Mr. Bean trying to get rid of a bothersome bee.
0: And in a moment, we are going to tell you more of our best of the rest, our favorite shows that weren't quite our favorites, but they were up there. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes We're doing our best of the rest episode For 2022 So some of our TV shows that we really liked That didn't quite make our top 20 And we're also going to talk about our favorite movies From this year Next up for me Is an anthology series from the maestro Of horror Guillermo del Toro It debuted on Netflix on October 25th It's a show called Cabinet of Curiosities Picture your mind as a cabinet
1: where you lock up your darkest thoughts and deepest fears. What would happen if you opened that cabinet for the world to see? We are about to find out.
0: So this is Del Toro's own personal Twilight Zone. Eight episodes, eight contained short stories, all of them insane. Well, I guess most of them, because the final episode now that I think of it is actually a fairly simple, touching, and tragic ghost story. But the rest of them are nuts. Just nuts. Especially episode 7, which is delightfully daffy. Episodes 5 and 6 are probably the weakest, but overall, they all start as simple mysteries and then they just ratchet up to ludicrous speed, but in spite of the lunacy, they're all still good stories. Easily the most unique series I watched all year
1: one of my favorite shows of the last few years had its fourth season on fx this year it's the vampire comedy what we do in the shadows
0: this is the big opening of our nightclub we wanted drinks to be very expensive
1: so then we attract rich humans rich humans are basically like veal conceptually
0: repulsive but so buttery on my tongue
1: My search for a new wife has not been going so great. I am not a creep. I am just a very ancient warrior who wishes to marry you. Come back! (laughs) Whoops. What We Do in the Shadows is a single-camera mockumentary-style comedy about a group of vampires living together in a house in Staten Island, New York. They are hundreds of years old, but it's set in modern times, and a lot of the comedy is derived from the the fish-out-of-the-water scenario of A, being vampires, and B, being hundreds of years old and not knowing how things like CD players work. But really, most of the comedy is derived from the fact that they're all really dumb, like Homer Simpson dumb. They also have a human with them, Guillermo, who makes a lot of withering glances at the camera, Jim Halpert style as the audience surrogate. It's really really good stuff, consistently funny and something I look forward to every year.
0: Before we move on here, I got to ask you cuz I know that you started watching that Cabinet of Curiosities. How far into it did you get? Oh, I just got through uh, two episodes, Brett, so we'd have something to talk about on our show that week. <laughs> okay. And uh I enjoyed them,
1: but I was like it was uh, getting kind of too gross for me, so I was like, ah, I should cut out while I'm still good before I really get some nightmares going.
0: Yeah, those two were easily... Well, no. <laughs> actually, I know that episode three was pretty gross, and episode seven had some really gross stuff. So, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Stay away from the rest <laughs> of it. Um, let's move on. I've actually got a trio of shows here that are all kind of along the same lines. Let's talk some time travel. In a reboot of one of my favorite shows ever. And it just simply should not work, but it does. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. That's a Hall of Famer voiceover right there. Quantum Leap. Obviously, I time travel into other people, so be me up. It's not that simple. You leap into people to help them or someone around them changing history for the better no matter what happens ben, look out! i am going to be with you every step of the way until we get you home so the original quantum leap aired for five seasons on nbc starting in 1989 about a scientist who ends up traveling through time hopping from body to body fixing something that once went wrong it was kind of a ridiculous show but it was excellent it just worked And then they announced a reboot a couple of years ago, and I thought, well, that's dumb. But so far, it's great, because it holds on to the basic premise, but it separates itself by introducing us to background characters in the present who are telling their own story. And Winston from Ghostbusters is in it, and he likes to pronounce words that start with the letter W, like this. That the technology wasn't ready
1: can you hear me why did he leak find out what he's there to do and bring him home
0: winston i'm guessing that winston likes wheat quantum leap by the way just got renewed for a second season so i'm pumped because there were rumors this show was heading for the trash can so i mean hey the the reboots they work sometimes jeff because i know like uh, are you still watching the magnum pi reboot
1: I am watching the Magnum PI Reboot. It hasn't been on yet this year. Uh, The next season doesn't start until January. But I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Again, it's a pretty basic show. It's got a lot of uh, cliches and tropes we've seen in, like, uh, CBS procedural cop shows. But it's also got that Hawaiian scenery, which I am a sucker for.
0: Yeah, and we've seen uh, some other successful reboots as well, like MacGyver went for four or five or six seasons. Uh, The Will and Grace reboot did not too bad for a little while, while others have just tanked so hard. Murphy Brown, that was... uh, Did that even make it to, like... Was that a canceled I, by Christmas deal? It must have been. I have no
1: idea. I don't even, wherever that was airing, I couldn't watch it, I don't think. Same with Mad About You. That's a few years ago already. They did another season of Mad About You, and it was on some podunk little streamer that nobody, and I mean nobody has or has even heard of that the the name i can't even think of a name right now yeah and uh that's
0: just a shame because that's something i would have enjoyed watching yeah you'd think that nbc would put that because that was a huge hit for that network you'd think they'd give it at least one or two episodes on the primary network but in a moment we're going to wrap up our best of the rest television and then we'll tell you what was the best of the rest as far as movies are concerned you are listening to the couch potatoes I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. This is our best of the rest of 2022 episode where we look at some of our favorite shows that didn't quite make our top 20. And we're also going to tell you what we liked in terms of movies this year. And we just talked about Quantum Leap, which is a show about time travel. And clearly we love stuff about time travel, whether it's just a straight time travel story like Back to the Future or a time loop story like Groundhog Day. The couch potatoes are all in on this stuff. And this next one presents, to me, just such an interesting moral and ethical conundrum. Freaks you out at first, doesn't it? Honey Snow Skyman. We're a top secret organization dedicated to preventing and undoing mass extinction events. Oh, and we can make time go backwards. Welcome to The Lazarus Project, George. The Lazarus Project originates from across the pond. It began airing on Showcase on October 20th, and it wrapped up its eight-episode season in early December. It's about a guy named George who develops apps, but his life is turned upside down when he wakes up one day, several months in the past, July 1st, And a few months after that, it happens again. He goes back to July 1st, and eventually he is recruited by a secret organization called the Lazarus Project. As you heard in the clip, they have the ability to turn the clock back, but only for extreme circumstances, basically to prevent the world from ending. So in other words, they can't reset time, even for major tragedies like 9-11. It has to be a mass extinction event. But then for George things become a lot more complicated and personal. Like, what would you do if you had the power and knowledge to save someone you love from dying? Would you put the whole world at risk to save one person? First season was terrific, It was emotional, and it ended in a way that I just did not expect, clearing a path for a second season, which is currently being filmed. And that leads into... One more time travel show. So this would be, for me, as far as TV goes, the best of the rest. And I'm definitely cheating with this one because it's a show that I've already watched and definitely included in my best ofs and the year-ender shows we do over the last few years. But watching it all together for the first time was one of my most pleasant viewing experiences of the year. Maybe my most pleasant, but because I've already included it in previous Top Tens. I don't want to create a paradox here. <laughs> Seasons one, two, and three of Dark. Where did everything start? In the small town Winden, a young man has disappeared in a mysterious way. Who's coming so I know I've talked about this uh, quite a bit, actually, in recent weeks, uh, but i got to include it in the year-ender here. In short, Dark is a German sci-fi show on Netflix about time travel. It, it, it will melt your brain. It's wild stuff. It's well-written, terrific acting, just an amazing story. The first season came out in 2017, second in 2019, and the third in 2020. And I've always meant to go back and watch them again because... Like in 2019, I could barely remember that first season. And then when I did finally get around to watching the third season, I could barely remember the first or second seasons. So it was nice to see them together. And as much as I enjoyed those seasons the first time they came out, I think the second viewing was better because it was easier to follow the complicated storylines. There are so many characters and different timelines and it's hard to keep track of who's who and where they are. But also just having a basic understanding of the plot while forgetting a lot of the smaller details, made it feel fresh. and almost made it feel like something I had never watched before. And I'm actually looking to watch this probably again for a third time in the very near future. It's excellent. I give the series as a whole. The sectional. The sectional five couch cushions out of five. And the reason I finally watched it again is because the creators of that show debuted a new show this year on November 17th on Netflix. The show is called 1899. Six hours ago, we received a message. We believe this comes from the Prometheus. You think the passengers, they're still alive? It is a mystery on the Atlantic set in the year 1899. It's about a cruise ship called the Kerberos, which is bringing passengers to the U.S., but they get a distress signal and believe it's coming from the Prometheus, which is another ship that vanished four months earlier. So they go to look for it, and when they find it, it becomes the biggest mystery of their lives. This new show... Definitely looking to appeal to a huge international audience. We've got people who speak English, German, French, Spanish, Portuguese, Polish, Danish, Norwegian, Cantonese, and even some Japanese. And it's incredible the way that they they get this international cast to work together and meld together. It's one of the... I think it's one of the greatest achievements I think I've seen in television in a long time, especially with these uh, platforms looking to create more global content, you know, shows that can be enjoyed, whether it's in Canada, the United States, or somewhere, anywhere else on planet Earth. Be warned, though, these shows are not for everyone. The ending for season one of 1899 in particular might throw a lot of people off, and not in a good way. But I love both shows. I can't recommend them enough.
1: Now we're going to switch gears over to some of the movies that we like this year. And Brett, you didn't go to the movies too
0: often, but the
1: one that you did go to, you went to a lot. Um, And I went to a lot more movies, and I'd like to talk about a few of them. One of the most bonkers movies I've ever seen came out this year. It's from India. It's on Netflix, and it's called RRR. (laughs)
0: In Natsuko La Vecaya and Tasepo, Kumbasta
1: Lani RRR stands for Rise, Roar, Revolt. It's in Hindi with a little bit of English, and it's three hours long. Now, if any of those things are going to keep you from watching, it really is your loss because this movie is amazing. It's set in India in 1920. The British still rule, and the story pits two guys on opposite sides against each other, but also with each other. It's mostly an excessively violent action-adventure movie with some very strong drama, some comedy, a little romance and even a few musical numbers. Not enough to call it a musical, but more than enough not to, if that makes sense. There's a lot of stuff going on over the three hours of this movie. It is a feast for the senses it's like the fast and the furious meets john wick meets the matrix meets Zack snyder there's also a dance off at one point there's literally something for everyone but by and large bloody violence is the order of the day and it really is something to behold i cannot recommend it enough if you have netflix you've got to turn on rrr give it a shot if you're not hooked in 15 minutes uh i'll, I'll pay for your netflix bill i'm not going to pay your netflix bill but <laughs> I, th- I think you'll really like it how about that um, next up on my list, the best fan service this year Somehow, weirdly, came from Downton Abbey You are cordially invited to the long-awaited return of Downton Abbey
0: It seems wonderfully romantic I think I'm going to cry That's life, isn't it? Getting past the unexpected
1: This May, a new era
0: Three, two, one.
1: Calls for a grand celebration I have never seen anything like it. They better be warned that the British are coming. Do we drag you? <laughs> Downton Abbey, a new era. Downton Abbey, A New Era, is the second movie to follow the British TV series that ran on PBS in North America for six seasons, starting in 2011. Downton Abbey is set in a massive rural English England estate, and the series and these movies are about the wealthy family who lives there and their servants. There are two main plots that sort of split up the cast for a good chunk of this movie. There's a trip to France to solve a family mystery, and then the arrival at Downton of a film crew who have rented the house to make a movie. It's all very light and breezy. It was the most delightful movie of the year. We got a lot of zingers from Maggie Smith, who's the breakout star of the show, and we got a lot of nonsense from the character Molesley, and then some long-awaited triumphant moments for the show's punching bag. And those are the two things we all walked in looking for. Snark from the Lady Grantham, and some clumsy awkward comedy from Moseley and a lot of heart from everyone, and the movie just paid dividends like I wasn't expecting. It's not a great movie, but if you like Downton Abbey, you're going to love this Movie.
0: And up next, what were our favorite movies of 2022 You're listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We started the show talking about some of the show TV shows we love this year that didn't quite make our top 20 list, which will be coming out later. And now we're talking about some of our favorite movies of the year. And next up for me is a movie called Everything Everywhere All at Once. It was a delightfully weird movie that's getting a lot of awards attention. Mom, just wait. No time to wait. Very busy.
0: Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyn's.
1: If you can imagine it, somewhere out there,
0: it exists. The universe is bigger than you realize. You think this is funny? no going back. Of all the places I could be, I just want to be here with you.
1: Everything Everywhere All at Once stars Michelle Yeoh as Evelyn and Kiwi Kwan as her husband Waymond. He, of course, was short round on uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Jamie Lee Curtis is also in it. She's just terrific. And well, I'm not sure I even know how to explain this movie. It's a multiverse story, and it falls on Evelyn to save the day. She must learn how to jump universes to other versions of herself to acquire their skills so she can fight the bad guy, which can be tricky because in other universes, the main difference may only be that Everyone there has hot dogs for fingers. Uh, It's funny. It's whimsical. It's also very heartwarming. There's a strong mother-daughter story at the core of it. You really do have to see it to sort of believe it. It's just bonkers in a delightful way. Everything, everywhere, all at once. One of the absolute highlights at the theater this year. Another one was stars Kate Blanchett, who's likely going to be a three-time Oscar winner come spring. She gives the year's best performance, I thought, in a movie called Tar. Time is the thing. Time is the essential piece of interpretation. You cannot start without me. I start the clock. (sighs) However, unlike a clock, sometimes my second hand stops, which means time stops. Kate Blanchett plays Lydia Tarr, a world-renowned orchestra conductor, gearing up for Mahler's Fifth Symphony with the Berlin Philharmonic, and about to see her world come crashing down around her. It's written and directed by Todd Field. He was an actor at one point. If you remember the movie Eyes Wide Shut, he played the pianist Nick Nightingale. But he's become a director since then. He had a couple of fantastic movies in the 2000s. They were called In the Bedroom and Little Children. Now he's back with a movie called *Tar*, and it is excellent. I will say, though, it is probably not for everybody it's long about two hours 40 minutes and the pace is very deliberate and i think deliberately slow at the beginning as it goes along we follow Lydia Tarr gearing up for the big show in Berlin, and only to have to face being canceled due to a previous relationship and some other things. And we learn more about her as the movie goes along. And as it turns out, she might not be as great a person as the public believes. She's certainly not as great as she believes. It really, though, is a great movie to have a discussion about afterwards because there's so much there that's open to interpretation. What is not open to interpretation, though, is the fact that Kate Blanchett is phenomenal in this. She's always amazing, but even for someone of her caliber, this. Is a standout performance. And now my favorite movie of the year is this year we did not get the Batman we asked for because no one was asking for a new Batman, but we did get the Batman we deserve.
0: Whoa, take it easy, sweetheart. Hear everything they say. Thank you. Maybe we're not so different. Who are you under there?
1: I'm vengeance. Robert Pattinson's Batman is even darker and more brooding than any of the previous incarnations, and that's saying something. But it was also a welcome change after the more comic booky feel of the Zack Snyder movies with Ben Affleck. This is gritty street-level stuff, and even at three hours was worth every minute. The Batman joins up with the Catwoman to take on The Riddler and The Penguin is also there. We even get a glimpse of The Joker. It's the whole rogues gallery right out of the gate. I love the atmosphere, the score from Michael Giacchino, and a terrific Batmobile chase. It was maybe the most surprising movie of the year for me because I really was not in the mood for a new Batman franchise so soon after the last one, which of course had its issues. But three hours later, I was hooked. I ended up seeing The Batman three times in theaters. A weirdly refreshing take on a character we've seen so so much of over the last 30 years
0: we should also mention that we have not yet seen avatar the way of water so it's entirely possible that might end up being one of our favorites of 2022 that we can just have to we'll just have to retroactively shoehorn it in in the new year because we'll no doubt have seen it by then Uh, but in the meantime i only have one movie i want to mention for this year because jeff covered a couple of other ones that i enjoyed but this is the one for me Someone's not coming back from this.
1: Those are your pilots. Anything happens to them, smoke in the air, smoke in the air.
0: you will never forgive yourself. No turning back now. Come on. Oh, Having any fun yet? Heck yeah! Top Gun Maverick. As of now, it is the biggest movie of the year. By a mile, we'll have to wait and see what Avatar does, but Top Gun Maverick, $718 million domestic, almost $1.5 billion worldwide. Jurassic Park Dominion is next in line worldwide with just over a billion. Although it's in fourth place domestic, behind Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at four hundred and eleven million and Black Panther Wakanda Forever at four hundred and ten million, again as of December fourteenth. What can I say? I have seen Top Gun Maverick six times this year, twice in the big screen, four times at home. I rented rented it twice on Prime and watched it twice with each rental it's the most thrilling movie i have ever seen and i know that some don't care for the movie or at least the scenes in between you know i had someone tell me they dozed off in between action scenes a couple of times when they went to see it on the big screen. I don't think it's that bad. In fact, I loved it from start to finish, and the action scenes are indeed the most intense ever. It just looks so real. I know they use composites, and there's some digital chicanery and tomfoolery in there, but they really took those actors up to get that real footage on screen of them in the cockpits. It's just way better than I ever thought it would be and i was so thrilled to see it get a nomination for best picture at the golden globes i give it the sectionals two sectionals in one episode by the way top Gun maverick is on paramount plus as of december 22nd so our top tv shows of 2022 they are coming soon i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother